Hi, this is Matt Kempel, co-owner of Milwaukee's premier live comedy spot, The Laughing Tap, and founder of the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. I hope everyone is ready for a great show tonight. Make sure you have turned off your electronic devices and keep talking to others in your group to a minimum. With that, I'd like to bring on tonight's headliners, Jim Martin and Chris Beyer. It's season six of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin, along with my co-host, as always, Chris Beyer. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good. So uh, tonight we have a a real live comedian. We like to pretend to be comedians once in a while, but tonight we have a real live one. Uh, his name is Rob Brackenridge. Rob, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm live. Uh, that's the best thing to be. And, that's right. You, know. <laughs> you, you set a low bar. Yeah, the older you get, the lower the bar is. So if you're just alive, that that's a good day. That, yeah. that is a good day. I was kind of thinking that you might be on the West Coast, but Jim says you're you're in Wisconsin right now. Is that true? I am now. I, I lived in Los Angeles for 23 years. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was out there modeling. Okay. Oh, sure. There you go. <laughs> It was for diabetes medicine. <laughs> <laughs> so you're back in Wisconsin, up up north? Yep. I moved back to help out my mom. She's 92 years old. Oh, wow. Yep. And so that's kind of my new job is to take care of my mom. And I, I, yeah, I had my fill of Los Angeles. And it's kind of nice being out here, you know, being a small fish in a big pond, it can grate on you. And now I come out here and, you know, everyone knows me. I can walk down the street and they go, Rob, how you doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. You're a working comedian here, and we'll talk about what's going on eventually in your life right now in comedy. But let's just start at the beginning. You're looking here on your website. You started 1987. 87, yep. It's got to be tough to turn to friends and family and say, I want to be a comedian, you know, because everybody thinks they're funny. And to yeah. say, I'm going to make a profession out of it, you know, that's got to be a tough move. Well, I, I was a theater major in college. I went to Lawrence University here in Appleton. And my dad was a physics professor at the university. And my mom was a classics professor at the university. So everyone kind of thought, well, this guy is going to be something academic. And nope. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of I went the other way. Well, physics, there's that whole thing about the apple falling far from the tree, and it fell a long way from the tree in this case. Yeah, the, the apple only had to fall on his head there. But uh, <laughs> I did not. And my dad was hilarious, though. He he was a you know physics professor, but he would make his his uh, classes would be like uh, almost like a comedy show. You know, he would misspell. He would have like stress over strain equals something, and then he would misspell strain. So people would say, uh, Professor Brackenridge, I believe you misspelled the word strain. He goes, oh, I can never spell under stress. You know, and he would, and then he would look around to see who's, who's laughing and who's right. not. And that, that's how their grade depended on that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because then he knows who's paying attention, who understands what's going on. It makes sense. Sure. So kind of hamming it up uh, came natural to you because of uh, the theater work? Yep. Uh, theater. I mean, I, I always, I still do want to do acting and I've done a lot of commercials and things like that. When I was in LA, you can look on my website and I, I have a whole bunch of the stuff that I did, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't turn down a role in movie for sure. I, I still love acting, but okay. uh, with, with stand up, it's, you get to do all your own blocking, all your own writing and you're in charge of your own destiny, you know? 
So, yeah. Yeah. Right. I got to be honest. I was a little concerned uh, about talking to you today because uh, Chris, were you concerned or no? And because we'll see if Rob gets that or no. Or no, I heard the or no, but I'm I'm so used to it now. Right. Oh, okay. okay. So right. so I know that some of the things you're talking you talked about in some of the stand up I watched was like, oh, yeah, I do I do exactly that. Like yeah, you know, yeah. Now, um, Jim is treading on yeah. something. I just got a warm up. Don't go into the next half hour. We got to yeah. talk about this half hour. Okay. But anyway, all anyway. right. Yeah. Okay, but I'm just telling him I'm a little concerned. Yeah, because I feel like I might enter his act at one of these days. But you know, <laughs> well, yeah, people are always concerned when they talk around me. Someone will come up to me after the show and go, "Oh, I got a friend at work down by the mill that talks just like you," and yeah. they can't hear themselves. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. The, um, so at eighty-seven, you started to become a, a, a comedian, and then you made the move in ninety-one. So, what was the time between eighty-seven and ninety-one that thought you were ready to go on well, to LA? Yeah, what I did was I graduated from Lawrence with a theater major and I moved to Los Angeles or I I moved to Minneapolis because I needed a a, like a decompression city. You can't just move from Appleton to Los Angeles. No, you have to have a a semi big, you know, city in between. So I moved to Minneapolis and I tried doing acting there and then I got in an improv troupe and then we started working with other comedians, you know, like we would be an improv troupe opening for Tom Arnold. This is before he met Roseanne, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, just local comedians. And they would be, I would see how much they would make. And then we would have to split up our money, you know, with all our troop members, the cat, you know, the, the improv troupe. So we wouldn't get much money. And I saw how much Tom Arnold was making and he wasn't all that funny, you know. So I thought, well, I can be, I can be at least that funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. And, He's- uh, He's from the Minneapolis area? Yes. Okay. He actually just came through here, Appleton. He worked the the skyline here in Appleton, and I opened for him. It was, oh, it was cool. pretty yeah, it was pretty neat to uh, see him after all those years because you know I had opened for him when I was with an improv troupe 35 years ago, and then here here we are, still at it. Was that by accident or on purpose that the two of you worked together? I think it was it just by accident, I guess, because uh, the comedy club here in Appleton, they I, I, it's only like two miles from where I live. And uh, if they don't, if they, I can do any position, I can do MC, headline or middle. And I don't, I'm not one of these guys that says, nope, I'm only a headliner. You know, I'll work. I just like working. Right. So, and they know that. So if they, in last minute, usually they're last minute fallouts or something. And I, you know, I just come in there. I, I'm there this week. I'm I'm uh, opening for my friend Mike Merrifield this week at the yeah. Skyline. I, I saw that. Yeah. So you did something with Keenan Thompson last week too, right? Yeah. Keenan. Yeah. They they just called me out of the blue. And uh, yeah, last week at this time, I was FaceTiming with them, uh, doing a Zoom thing with them. They were giving me all the instructions and stuff. And I just, it was a showcase uh, for Keenan Presents. And that's going to be on TV soon. Uh, they choose uh, comedians from all over the country, and they happen to choose Appleton this year. They've been doing it for 13 years. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I, did, I had really never even heard of it, but I guess it's because they haven't come out this way. And we had 15 comedians, and I was the MC, and uh, they were good. I thought, oh, my God, you know, these are going to be some pretty bad open micers or something. Right. And all 15 were they all did three minutes and they all stayed right on their time. And I was pretty proud of them. Cool. So, 
Oh, that's great. Is there much of a comedy scene up in the uh, the Fox Valley there? There is now. Yep. Uh, the Skyline Comedy Club has been there since 1995, I believe, something like that. And uh, it's really, it never had uh, open mic before. And now on Wednesdays, they have this open mic and it's really well run. And uh, it's been developing, like the comedians that go to that open mic now work their way up to MC position uh, for the weekend. And some of them are starting to feature now and it's, it's growing. And I've noticed that there's a lot other open mics right in this area and people will come all the way up from Milwaukee to do our open mics here because the crowds are so good. What about oh, nice. Green Bay? Is Green Bay got a club? Green Bay does not. Uh, well, they've got a couple of open mics, I think, but they're not as good as the ones in Appleton or as well known, I think. And I haven't really been in the, open mic scene for a while i uh i'll do it every once in a while when i need to work on a new bit but uh i i haven't been doing open mics too often and then you moved to la and that's obviously a big move for you it was i mean i had i wanted to have at least an hour's worth of material before i moved to los angeles because uh once i started doing stand-up i left the improv troupe started doing stand-up i worked my way up to 10 minutes then you work your way up to 20 minutes and then you get comfortable with that. And then you work, you try to get an hour's worth of material so that you can headline. And that was my criteria. I said, I'm not going to move to Los Angeles. I knew I was going to eventually move there, but I said, I'm not going to move there until I have an hour's worth of good material that I can do in front of bad crowds, good crowds. It's just a good solid hour. And I need a car that runs, you know, it's, <laughs> that can get me around because they yeah. So I, I did that. I, Bought a brand new Mazda three two three and ran the hell out of that thing. There you go. Nice. Put like two hundred two hundred thousand miles on it and just and uh, just rode all over the country and I used L.A. as my home base so that I could audition and things when I was there. But I really I just paid rent in Los Angeles. You know, I I was living all over the country for those most of those years. Oh really? Okay. Okay. So did you have somebody? Did you know somebody out in L.A. or just head out there and thought like I, I had. Check out the yeah, scene. I, I had gotten back, you know, Larry Wilmore. Have you heard no. of Larry Wilmore? No. Mm-mm. He uh, used to have a TV show. Uh, he now has a podcast called Black on the Air. He was on The Daily Show. Is that the deal? Yeah. Da- Larry was on The Daily Show for a while. Then he had his own show for a while. And uh, he's a great guy. We used to do uh, these USO tours over in like Japan and, and uh, Germany and Italy and all these things. And uh, so he, kind of made it easy for me when I went to Los Angeles he introduced me to the club owner at the ice ice house and the egg bees and all these other clubs and so it it helped me out a lot to be nice. to have someone like Larry say this guy is funny you know because you really do need you need someone to you can't just go up and say I'm funny you know <laughs> right 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 exactly so I would think you got to have a little bit of street cred somewhere right you got to have some kind of somebody vouching for you somehow so, yep. So, and Larry yeah. was well established at that time. And so it was 91, I think it was. Uh, and I, uh, so I got a, I got an apartment and, uh, that, you know, and I started getting set, sets in town uh-huh. and then, uh, I mostly just fly out and rent a car, but I, there are some gigs that you could do pretty close to LA, but, uh, most of it was flying and renting. Yeah. Were you, uh, doing day jobs during that time as well? I never did a, a day job. The last day job I had was uh, 90, or 87 at the Loon Cafe. 
And uh, it was in Minneapolis. It's a place called the Loon Cafe. And uh, they, the guy, I, <laughs> I got something in my eye and I, and I called in and I said, listen, I got some scratch cornea. And uh, I can't I can't come into work at the cafe. And they said, Rackenridge, we think you're lying. You know, you're just mm-hmm. a, you're just making up you're making up reasons not to work. Uh, and then they fired me. Huh. And uh, and I said, well, I'm going to collect an unemployment. And the guy goes, no one's ever collected unemployment for me. And this was way back in 87 or something. <laughs> and I said, well. Uh, you know, and I, I had the doctor's note and everything. So I collected unemployment for six months and that gave me enough money, very little money, but enough money just so I could travel around and go to various comedy clubs and stuff and just do guest sets so that they would remember me. And then, you know, within a, six months from there, I would be able to work in those clubs that I did my little guest sets. And that was in the days before you did it really on uh, computers, you know, you, you just had to go there and they had to see if you were funny. You know, you had to prove it right in front of them. Sure. Right. And yeah. then you'd get work a couple of months later. So it was thanks to, uh, thanks to that guy firing me, I was able to, uh, start off my career and I've never had another day job since then. So. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. So you're just <laughs> doing a lot of, you're doing a lot of writing, you're doing a lot of auditioning you know, for commercials and parts and things like that, that kind of uh, soaks up your time, I imagine. Yeah. And I, I, my time is all soaked up writing for my, myself too. You know, I'm always, I always record when I go on stage and then I listen to it and I think what I can put in between different bits and things like that. So I'm constantly right. I'm always working, but work to me, work doesn't, it doesn't feel like work. It's right. just it's the way I've been living for 30 something years now. So yeah. it, sure. it comes natural. Who are some of the people that you ran into that you worked with uh, on stage? Did you run into the big names that we're familiar with? Mainly Seinfeld or, or um, I'm trying to think of the big names, Bill Burr. Uh, well, they, they would all come through town. I remember I, cause I was, I lived right by the improv or yeah, the improv Hollywood improv. Okay. So I would go there just on my nights off and, you know, we would ju- I'd just commiserate with other comedians and uh, we would see the new guys come through. This young Jimmy Fallon guy would come through with his guitar and we're like, oh, yeah, he's I'm sure he's going to be a big star with that guitar. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember Dave Chappelle came through. He and Jim Brewer, they they had a, a TV show called Buddies or something like that. And I I think it might have aired, but uh, it, it failed after the pilot. You know, it failed. But I just remember Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer coming into town and just thinking, these guys, oh, they were so funny. And I'm thinking, why didn't their TV show make it? You know, I guess they just, it just wasn't the right time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And I would see these guys come through and I could tell that they were going to be great. You know, Mitch Hedberg would, right. we, we'd see him and uh, it's just, you just, you want to quit doing comedy because these guys are so good. You know, it's like, what am I doing? If those guys can do that, what am I doing? You know, that's got to be tough. Uh, like I said, when you see see that, is there any characteristic you know that you've seen in people that you're like, I know this guy's gonna make it, and what is that thing? Yeah, if I knew, I'd have it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that was the answer. Right, yeah. right. I think uh-huh. it's individual for every other every person that does it. You know, and timing is also a very important thing, too. I remember uh, Roseanne just was perfect timing for her. And uh, 
Drew Carey came through. And that's he was the first guy I met, Drew Carey, when I first moved to Los Angeles. He was just a guy that was at the improv, another comedian. And I said, is there any good place around here to get an apartment? And he goes, well, place I live in is great, you know. And he had moved into Andrew Dice Clay's old apartment because he thought it had good mojo, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, (laughs) so I took the apartment right below Drew Carey. I lived there for like three years. And then I I watched him just turn into a huge star. I remember the night he was on uh, Carson. We were just we were so happy that he had gotten Carson. This is probably just a year before Johnny, you know, ended up uh, retiring. And Drew was on there. And I had been working at a club somewhere in the area. And I zoomed home to watch uh, The Tonight Show. And he just, I couldn't believe how good he did, how well he did. It just, everything was perfect. And I ran over to the improv because I knew he was going to be there celebrating with all the other guys. And he was just, the night before he, you know, no one knew who he was. And this, I, I had to fight through a whole bunch of people just to try to buy him a drink, you know? And, yeah, right. Like, yeah, I live right he, below him. I got I know, special. I, <laughs> Let me through. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think I might have seen that live. And if I didn't see it live, I've certainly seen that set on youtube since and sure. he did kill it you know yeah. it was it was you know a birth of a star and that's kind of what the tonight show did and since then there hasn't been that star making vehicle for comics the way carson was now letterman was pretty good for a mm-hmm. while but when once carson was gone letterman was the next one and uh there really hasn't been anything since letterman i don't think i there is no star making vehicle anymore. They, yeah. People, I think it's the internet now that makes the stars. Mm-hmm. And there's YouTubers that are packing out comedy clubs now, and they don't even have ten minutes. They don't even have a good ten minutes of comedy, and they're up there for a full hour. And people are watching it. I don't know if they're enjoying it, but when the show's over, they're like, "Well, we got to see what's his name." You know, we're happy. They're all happy that they went to see it, but. Boy, it's hard to sit through that hour of a guy not knowing what he's doing, you know. And and those are the guys when you look and say, "That's why I'm still doing comedy because I'm yeah. way better than those guys." They can't do the clubs, you know. They they mm-hmm. can only do like I guess theater gigs and stuff like that. I, you know, every time they do come through the clubs, it's usually the middle act is is the only one that gets the laughs, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have to flip flop the middle act and and the you know the YouTube person. Yeah, I think that. Part of the appeal of that is it's kind of like American Idol, you know, where you were there at the inception of their career. You know, you yeah. got to see them start out. And so you're kind of invested in in that. You know, in American Idol, half these people weren't that great as singers, but you kind of got to know them. And so you you felt they were better just because you were there at the beginning. Yeah. And I think they feel like they have a personal connection with them because they see them every day on their phone. They see them every day. They're at their school. They're they feel like they know this guy. So that, oh, he's coming through my comedy club. You know, I'm going to go see him. Yeah. So it doesn't sure. matter how good they are or not. Right, right. It's more the experience with that guy. Yeah. Or or, or girl, I guess, woman. Um, so getting back to your days in L.A., you mentioned you did a lot of your L.A. was kind of your home base, but it was really like just where you, you know, kind of HQ, right? Where you, you took it was there. where I paid rent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is this, does that just kind of the nature of the beast because you were in that, you know, you're doing the kind of touring comedy circuit kind of thing or, or, or what was the reason for all the travel? Well, the reason for the travel was to make rent so I could live in LA. I, the smarter thing to do was what all my buddies did. They moved to LA and they got a day job 
and they ended up getting a writing job, you know, or some other thing that kept them in town. Uh, you know, they could be showrunners, they could do, you know, anything to do with the business. But I just, I didn't want to stop doing stand-up. I never wanted to stop because if I took more than two weeks without being on stage, it's like a drug to me. It's, I, I feel like I should be doing something and, you know, and I, there's no, all the open mics in LA didn't do it for me. I needed to be in front of a paid crowd. That was a real comedy club where I know what I'm doing, you know? And Mm -hmm. uh, so that basically, it was kind of a waste of time for me to be there, but it was nice when I did come home, I knew it was going to be 75 degrees. I knew I could (laughs) ride my bike. I knew I could go to the beach. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and I knew I could audition for commercials. And every time you'd audition for a commercial, that's like throwing the dice down the table and hoping for a seven, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You you do a hundred auditions you get one commercial now we i t- asked you about you know when you see somebody that breaks it big and you can see that they've got this talent this might be a tough question and you don't have to answer it but is there somebody out there in the business that you just don't get everybody's going nuts for this guy but you quite isn't quite your cup of tea i don't know yeah, if you that, want to bad mouth comedians but i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's bad mouthing him but i i just remember way back uh dane cook do you remember dane cook yeah and a lot of people mentioned him. Yeah. And I, I just thought, well, what, you know, he was doing all kinds of stuff that it wasn't anything new. And that was the first time I, I saw, I thought, you know, you don't really have to be unique. You just have to, to do, you know, you have to be really good at, at doing a certain type of comedy. And I think that was, it was just, it dawned on me that you don't, you know, you don't really have to, the people that, were being like other comedians and getting famous and rich mm-hmm. made me angry because I could do that. I could pretend, you know, but I wanted to be myself, but uh, you know, it's, it, it just, to me, it just seems like you, if you want to be a real comedian, you just have, it has to come from yourself and you have to invent it. You don't just look and see, Oh, I'll be dirty. I'll be like Andrew Dice Clay did that. He just said, I'm just going to be this guy that talks like this. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he ended up getting lots of money and being very famous. But right. That yeah. wasn't who he really was. But yeah. who am I to who am I to say, you know, what a real comedian should be? I just think you should be yourself. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think yeah. with Dane Cook, it was two things. Uh, one, he's a good looking guy that helped. Right. Especially mm-hmm. with the women. And then, yep. two, he was on the forefront of the Internet age you know, when it came to marketing, especially with MySpace at the time. He was the first one to do that, I think. There's another guy named Russell Peters, and I'm not saying he is a great comedian, but I remember Russell Peters. Now, he's probably one of the most well-known comedians in the world because he he does these huge stadiums in Asia and all over the world. And I just remember running him. I I used to do shows in London, England at the Comedy Store, and uh, he would be just another guy on the show. And then all of a sudden, he did one TV show in Canada that went on the internet in 99 or something like that. And that's the first one that just blasted out all over the world. And Russell within a few years was a millionaire. You know, he went just from being a guy living out of his car to a millionaire. Wow. That's when I saw what the internet could do. Right. Right. You know, and of course there's always this part of comedy that's going to be, you know, look, there's, there's a, chunk of people that really like you and a chunk of people that just they just don't like that kind of humor i mean with every comedian right so i think it's 
you know, when you were talking about, you just find your part, your brand of humor, right? Kind of latch on to that and, and find the people who enjoy that. You know, I mean, there's, yep. there's a lot of people who like Louis C.K., a lot of people who don't like Louis C.K. Amy Schumer, kind of the same thing. She's a little, she's a little raunchy sometimes, you know, like you're saying, not quite Andrew Dice Clay, but you know, she gets in and some people like that. Some people, eh, it's not my kind of thing. So, but, but you know, you get enough people that have your kind of thing and, and away you go, right? Yeah. I, and it usually, you don't really have to find the people. If you do it well enough, then the people find you, you right. know, you, yep, ju- you just have mm-hmm. to concentrate on being the best you you can be yep. and not worry about, you know, finding other people, just working on yourself. And uh, uh, with the internet now, I just blast out uh, little cl- clips of whatever special I just did. And usually that, that can bring people to my shows. That, oh, that sure. A lot. What is your favorite venue? Let's not say Appleton. What's your favorite venue, say, in L.A. Or, or nationwide? In L.A., my favorite one in L.A. was the Ice House in Pasadena. I've been there. That's yeah, that, a nice place, yeah. That is the old, probably the oldest comedy club in America, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, whenever you're on stage there, they always have just great crowds, for one thing. You don't know you're – you don't feel like you're in an L.A. club at all. You, you think you're on the road, you know, because the crowds are so good. And uh, that's you just feel the the history there because it's got Steve Martin started out there and uh, David Letterman's paycheck is up on the wall there, you know, and he was making twelve dollars and fifty cents a set or something. And when you're on stage there, you just feel like a little bit of history. What about large crowds? What's the what do you think the largest crowd you've performed in front of? And do you like performing in front of large crowds? I don't like it as much. If I was more famous, I think I would like it more. But uh, mm-hmm. when I'm, whenever I'm in front of a large crowd, uh, like I'll do theater. There's a theater here called the Meyer Theater. And I just taped my last special called uh, Stand Up Journeyman. That was good because they had all come to see me. Sometimes you fill in for people that, that uh, canceled for some reason. B.B. King, I was in... Uh, where was it? San Diego. So I'm living in Los Angeles and my agent calls me up and says, can you, uh, they have an emergency thing. BB King canceled out and they just want a, a comedian. They didn't, you know, specify who, and I happened to be, (laughs) I happened to be open. So I said, sure, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever. And it was like 2000 people that did not want to see me. They wanted to see BB King. They wanted to see music. They didn't even want to see comedy. And I come out there and I'm trying to do it, trying to do my act. And they're just not getting it, not enjoying it. They didn't know who I was. It was just awful. And uh, I I think I made it through maybe about 15, 20 minutes. And it was just, they turned off the mic on me. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) And there's like 200 people that were angry that I I existed. Yeah. I had to disguise myself to get out of there. <laughs> Jeez. Well, you know, yeah, it's, it, that's tough. You know, I, my son listens to comedy on Sirius XM and there's a, one comedian who talks about that. He said, you know, one time it's like, it's weird. They, they have a comedian open up, opening up for like a hip hop group. Yeah. I know it's almost impossible. I did that here at the Wisconsin state fair years ago for Naomi Judd. I had to open for her mm-hmm. and they didn't say that I was coming out. They didn't. And I thought I had to do 10 minutes and it was outdoors and uh-huh. thousands of people, thousands sure. of people. Wow. And, and outdoors and they didn't, no one introduced me and I just came out there and I, just before it went on, he goes, now you're doing 20 minutes, right? I went, Oh, I thought it was 
10. He goes, no, mm-hmm. no, 20. Just keep going until I give you the sign. So I went out and my first joke I did was that it's a joke that I, I kind of still do. I talk about how cold it is out here. And I just, one, one of the lines is it's wrong to raise children in Wisconsin because it gets so cold. But all they heard was it's wrong to raise children in Wisconsin. So people started going, boo. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they just know this guy came out. And it, there's a there's a way to do it though. There's a friend of mine, Craig Gass, who's actually coming here to the skyline soon, and he opens for big bands like heavy metal bands and stuff like that. Okay. And he I, he figured out how to do it. He comes out and he pretends he's the roadie doing test check check test. Oh, test, there you, know? you go. And then he goes, "Can you hear me over there?" Yep. Yeah, okay. And then he starts working his little jokes into there and going, "Ah, you guys are ah, it's a good crowd. We're we're gonna be taping." tonight let me get let me hear you know if i can get some reaction out of this part and he then he just somehow melds his act into it and he's before he knows it he's up there for 20 minutes and they loved it you know and they don't even know they just saw a comedian they just yeah, thought they saw like, the world's funniest warm uh you know roadie ro- yeah, roadie yeah, yeah yeah they're probably thinking that guy should get in the comedy right <laughs> yeah there, there are guys that make their living just opening for bands and there was uh-huh. one uh dr gonzo have you heard of him? No. He's he's the best. He's like had it down to an art. But when he was first starting out, he he had a really tough one. He was opening for like, uh, you know, ACDC or something. They, they were not having anyone. And so he goes, listen, I got to, you know, he was about five minutes into it. He goes, listen, I got to be up here for 20 minutes. So for the next 15 minutes, you can either listen to me or you can stare at the drum kit. And all of a sudden, everyone in the crowd started chanting, drum kit, drum kit, drum kit. And they, 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 they said it so loud that he couldn't do any more of his act. So he just put the mic in the stand and they just sat there for 15 minutes shouting drum kit. <laughs> you got a response out of the crowd. Well, Rob, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we're going to come right back and we're going to talk about your act, which is okay. at least the stuff that I've watched and maybe Jim as well is very specific to the Midwest and Wisconsin in particular. And so uh, we want to talk about that. So we'll take a little bur- break and we'll be right back. Cool. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast for the conclusion of our interview with comedian Rob Brackenridge. But before we go, here's a clip from Rob's comedy special with Dry Bar Comedy. And I noticed we have our own little language in Wisconsin. We, we say stuff that no one else would say. We say stuff like, come here real quick once. <laughs> you want me to come over there really fast one time? <laughs> yeah, jump out the car, get me one of them real quick. Everything's real quick, you know? You just add that to every sentence, even if it doesn't make sense. Like, pour some molasses on there real quick. <laughs> I can't. That's as fast as it'll go. You're just going to have to wait like everyone else. And I think we're the only ones that call traffic signals stop and go lights. (laughs) Everyone else calls them stop lights, but that's just because they focus on the negative. We're a little more optimistic in Wisconsin. We know eventually you're gonna go. <laughs> We'd be happy just calling them go lights. But the dead giveaway here from Wisconsin is if you suffer from what I call the er no factor. Right? They're like, you guys coming with or no? <laughs> you guys have supper or no? 
and stay away from the Wisconsin Shakespeare Festival. <laughs> That's just embarrassing. They're, they're like, to me or no? You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.